0: All right. So we're continuing the from a couple of weeks ago on the atonement. We continue on atonement. So let's pray. Father, we come before you as humbly as we can. Thank you for your goodness toward us and how you express your goodness, not by just saying it or even putting it in your word, but living it out and showing us. We pray, God, as we continue looking at the atonement. And the price that you paid and how amazing and how awesome and how all-inclusive it is that we would live a life, as the song said, perfect submission. That We would submit all of our all to you based on what you've done for us. Not just for what you've done, but just for who you are. Be with us as we look at your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we were talking about the atonement in our, in our series of salvation. Turn with me to, in your Bibles, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week, but turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah 59. And as you're turning there, I'll do a DK, brief summary of what we talked about last week. Understanding the atonement, and the atonement is the terms that theologians use to discuss the work of Christ, what he did for us as far as salvation is concerned. Um, Going back and forth, other aspects of salvation, but this aspect really focuses in on physically what Christ did for us. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, the idea was understanding the atonement, we first, there were other some things that we had to understand and get a grip on. The first one is fact of the holiness of God, that God was holy. And so we spent some time talking about the holiness of, holiness of God, what it meant that he was holy, that holiness was not a characteristic that God had. Like, hi, I'm God, and I've got this thing called holiness. No, holiness is who God actually is. He is infinite, incomprehensible, fullness of purity what God is. We talked about holiness out of scripture called him holy, 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 holy. And then we talked about that since God is holy, that holiness was the moral condition that he used to represent illness. And so we look at the earth in order for this earth or this universe to be healthy, it has to be holy as God is. And so whatever Holy is healthy, and so when God looked at the universe, I want a healthy universe. I want a healthy Olu Jaden, healthy people, healthy society. It is necessary for it to be holy. So evil is that moral sickness that will ultimately lead to death. And so, how do why do we have evil? Well, we have evil, or we have a term of evil, and we know what evil is because in relation to this evil, it's the opposite of this God. And so those things that come up that are morally sick are evil and they ultimately will lead to death. And so because God is holy, as we talked about, and he is pure, anything that challenges that, anything that comes against that, anything that would make his universe sick is under his displeasure. He's very displeased. A matter of fact, it's an eternal displeasure. It's a constant displeasure that he has. And then we talked about what wrath was. So that wrath was God is what arises to push down the sin and save the world from collapse. And So we talk about the wrath of God. It's his intolerance. I I will not stand for that. I cannot stand for that. God cannot and will not. He's intolerant towards whatever degrades his universe or whatever destroys his universe. And so because of that, God is holy. So we have this holy, ultimately pure God. And anything that is not holy, anything that challenges his holiness, has his wrath toward it. And I gave an example of, my pops was here last week, I gave an example of the wrath of my dad, knowing that when my daddy come home, I'm going to get this. It's that displeasure toward it that's intense. And so we have that issue. Then we have man, on the other hand. So we have God who is holy, pure, and then we have man who is sinful. And we looked at verses talked and about that. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Anybody remember what? The term desperately meant in that verse? Desperately wicked? We don't talk like that anymore. We don't talk, I'm desperately hungry. We don't don't talk like that. Desperately, the word there in Hebrew means incurably. Incurable. Can't be cured. So if you have a sickness, it can't be cured. And so what Jeremiah was saying is the heart is deceitful and desperately or incurably wicked. Cannot be cured. That's how wicked we are. And that sin is that rebellion against the will of God. So God has a will. God has a desire what he wants to happen. He has a revelation. He has laws. He has regulations. He has a will. When we go against that will, for whatever reason, that is what sin is. And so because of that sin, and he's holy, that means that there is some wrath against us because of the sin that we have. And we talked about how the measurement of the wrath of God. Well, how how much wrath does God have? Well, the measurement of God's wrath is equal to the measurement of his holiness. So think about how holy God is. That's how much wrath he has against sin, against us in our sinful state. And we looked at some verses about that. And so because God is so holy and infinitely holy and infinitely pure, his wrath is also at that same level. Also because of that, because we sin, we go against this God. The penalty for this offense is just as huge. As a matter of fact, the penalty has to be the ultimate penalty. And the ultimate penalty for our sin is death. Can't be some money. Can't be you go to jail for a little while. The ultimate penalty for our going against the will of an ultimately pure and righteous God is death. And we talked about it in Genesis. God said, do not eat this fruit. And then Eve was talking to the serpent and it said, oh, yeah, God said we should eat fruit because if once we do it, we will surely die. And that word surely die means dying. You shall die. That's what that means. And so it wasn't boom, because that's just physical death. And physical death is not a big deal because remember, we're not physical beings. We're spiritual beings. So physical death, that just means you were on earth. Now you somewhere else. But you still exist. And that's a, that's a concept that's hard for us to understand because when we talk about death and we, we because we miss the person and we love the person so much, we get to a point that we just see this physical. And when someone dies, we've been programmed or conditioned to think that it's over, it's done with. It. But that's not it. Death is just transferring you now from the physical world to a spiritual world. You still exist. So everyone that you know that have died, they still exist. They either exist in heaven with God or they exist in hell. So death is not the ultimate, I'm sorry, physical death is not the ultimate punishment for your sins. Everybody's going to die. The ultimate punishment for your sin is the spiritual death. And spiritual death means separation from God. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, what the first thing they did? They dipped. They heard, you, they heard God coming. Because that's how intimate they were with God. God used to walk with them. All right. What's going on, God? Shelley? That, that's how intimate they were. But when they too, they broke and they hid, as if you could hide from God. Why? Because that relationship, that fellowship, was broken. That's what spiritual death is. That's why the word says, "Dying, you shall die." So once we sin, because sin is dying, I'm physically going to die but I'm going to die as far as spiritually death. That's the only punishment for our sins. And so we got that situation. God, holy, pure, man, incurably wicked heart. Because of that, the wrath of God is on us. Because of that, God is also not only holy, but he's also just. And we talked about the justice of God. Just has the idea of moral, we heard a term, we learned a term, moral equity. E-Q-U-I-T-Y. And equity means fair and impartial. So I agree mean fair and impartial. That means I don't treat Ray different than I treat Brenda. I treat them the same, and I'm fair. That's what God is just. So he has to be fair, and he has to be impartial. That's what equity means, fair and impartial. And the word equity means not fair and partial and the term inequity is where we get our word iniquity from iniquity is another word for sin actually when you look at the, the, origin, the origin of iniquity in the, in the word of God it's actually crook C-R-O-O-C that's the word and it's what the shepherds use so the shepherds you would have a staff and the staff would go up and curl at the top right, like a crook and what happens is if the sheep would run away or try to get away the shepherd would take that staff and lock it around the sheep's neck and pull the sheep back to where he wants to go. Because the sheep, was, the sheep was going somewhere it wasn't supposed to go. Going off the path. Going away from the will that the shepherd wanted it to go. And so the shepherd took the crook or the iniquity and hooked it around and brought him back. That's what the iniquity is. You're going away. You're going, you're going a different path. You're going away from the will of God. equity, Not fair partial. I mean, uh, not fair and partial. And so God, because he is just, he is fair and partial, he has to deal with sin because he's just, he's got to be fair. Okay. So if you do something good, you good. You do something bad, got to do something to that. Why? Because God is just and fair. And so the judgment of God is his application of his justice. We get judged for doing good stuff. That's a judgment. Okay apply my justice so uh, I asked Jaden to do something he does it I come in now it's time to judge what he did what's the last thing you did um let's go wash the car ask Jaden <laughs> she's looking like I don't know what the last thing you did was <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> ask Jaden wash the car he goes out wash the car I said dad I'm finished oh let's go rake the leaves yeah that's a better one ask Jaden to rake the leaves he goes out rake the leaves Finish. You want to come look at it? And I use my my statement. I don't have to look at it. If you did it right, what I got to shake it for? That Can you come look at it? So I come. Now I'm bringing the judgment. I'm bringing my fairness and my impartiality to the situation. And so I'm going to take his condition, what he did, and I'm going to apply my fairness and impartiality to it. And so I look at the grass. Okay, good. Uh-huh. 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 Good. You did a good job. You did what you're supposed to do. I'm applying my judgment, my fairness and impartiality to the situation. you good. His judgment... Bing, he gets thumbs up. Dad, I finished raking the leaves. Can you come check it out? Okay, here I come. Second time, I come check with my fairness and my impartiality, and I see leaves under the bushes there. I see leaves over there. I see leaves over there. I say, no, I'm applying my, just, my justice to your condition. You have failed. Okay, so there is some consequence to that. Same thing with God. He his fairness and his impartiality to our moral condition, and we're judged because of that. I like the fact, uh, 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 let's turn to Isaiah. Did you ever turn to Isaiah 59? Let me get there. So in Isaiah 59, we talk about, now we get into what the atonement is. And so we have the fact that God is holy. We have the fact that man is not. (laughs) And we have the fact that God is just. So he has to, it is required that God has to bring his fairness and his impartiality to our moral condition, how we are. And we will be judged. He has to do that because he's just and because he's righteous. That's another word for God is just. He's righteous. He has to. If I was in one of those other churches, I'd say, everybody say has to, but we won't do that. But he has to. <laughs> okay? <laughs> oh, you did it. God has to judge. He has to come outside and see if you rake the leaves like you're supposed to because that's who he is. He's righteous. He has to do that. Okay? And, I'm, and you, say, you keep saying, you keep saying, you, I want you to understand that and drive that in your mind, because now we get to the atonement. Now we can understand the atonement or the work that Christ did. Now, real quick, when we talk about atonement, a lot of times we think about the death, death, burial, resurrection, he shed his blood. But the atonement, the work of Christ, actually spans beyond just his death. It actually concerns the entire work of Christ. Everything that Christ did on this earth was part of the atonement. For instance, remember we read in Leviticus how that when you brought a lamb and sacrificed a lamb for your sins in the sins of your family members, that lamb had to be what? Clean. Clean. Better than that. Give me another one. Higher than clean. Spotless. Spotless. Had to be perfect. Pure. Pure. Clean, spotless, perfect. Pure. That's the lamb that had to be. Because if it was not, that sacrifice would be null and void. Wouldn't mean anything. And so that's why we can't just limit Christ's atonement or his work to his death. We have to look at his life because the life of God, of Christ, who was the substitute for us, who took our penalty, his life had to be also clean, spotless, pure. And so when we look at the life of Christ, the Bible says that he knew no sin, he was made sin for us. Christ did not sin. And everything he did in life was Perfect. Everything he did in life was pure. Everything he did in life was clean. Why? Because that was a condition that the lamb had to be. That's why John said, when he saw Jesus, John the Baptist says, Behold the what? Lamb Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that lamb had to be perfect and spotless. So when we talk about atonement, don't just think, Oh, we're just talking about the death of Jesus. No, we're talking about the entire life of Jesus. That atonement or the act one Atonement at one minute. Atonement means bringing it together. The original word means an exchange of one thing for another. And what God, what the exchange was, was hostility for a friendship. That wrath of God was on us, and it was hostile. We were enemies of God. But what Christ did as the atonement, He exchanged that wrath for friendship, a friendly relationship, a reconciliation. So the atonement is the work of God by which he, Christ, brought humanity and God together despite humanity's sinfulness and God's holiness. And that's what this mystery is. I would say the angels look and wonder, like, how in the world are they going to do this? Because we know God, the angels saying this. We see God every day, and he's holy and pure. And we see these people. We see Olu down there, and he's jacking up left and right all the time. So how in the world can Olu... How can God call Olu his friend? How can Christ die for Olu? Because, I mean, what in the world? Well, How does this thing work out? Because God is pure. Olu is obviously not. So we, we, the Bible said, the angels look over and is confused Like, how does this thing work? But it's all because of what Christ did for us. And we're going to talk about that. The atonement, the at one meant. Because of the righteousness of God. We finished last week uh, talking about the four needs that we have as sinners. We said that we deserve to die as a penalty of our sins. And we looked at some scriptures for that. Uh, Romans 3.23. Y'all remember the Romans road? For the wages of sin is, I'm I'm sorry, 3.23, That's uh, 6.23 says uh, the wages of sin is death. The payment, the punishment of sin is death. Ezekiel says the soul who sins shall surely die. So we deserve the wrath of God upon our lives. Let's look at that, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, chapter 1, and we're going to talk about man's sinfulness. You have to understand how bad we are to understand what Christ did for us, how precious and how amazing it is. Isaiah 59, verse 1. See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor is ear to here. Verse 2. Rather iniquity, inequity, your iniquity sins have been And your God. What does sin do? Sin separates us, it puts a barrier between us and God. Why? Because God is so holy and we are so not. Rather, your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We have been separated from God. Three, for your hands, talking about Olu, and everywhere you see you or your, put your put your name there. For Olu's hands are defiled with blood and Olu's fingers with iniquity. Olu's lips have spoken lies and Olu's tongue mutters wickedness. No one brings soup justly. No one goes to the law honestly. They rely, Olu relies on empty pleas and speak lies, conceiving mischief and begetting iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs, they weave spider's eggs. Whoever eats their eggs dies. And crushed egg hatches out a viper. Their webs cannot serve as clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their works are full of iniquity. Everything they do are full works are works of iniquity, and the deeds of violence are full of the run to evil. It rushed to are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction is in Olu's house. The way of Uh, Their roads have been made crooked and no one who walks in them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We wait for light and lo, there is darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. That is the condition of man in relation to the purity and the righteousness of God. Not only are we deserve to die as a penalty, not only do we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin, not only are we separated from God, but we also in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. And we talked about that last week when Jesus was talking to the Jews and he said, "Um, if you believe my word, you would know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they said, we've never been slaves before. He said, oh, when you sin, you are a slave to sin. And so that's our condition. And so what does Christ do? Well, Christ is our substitute. We looked at Hebrews 9, 26, and they said Christ died as a sacrifice to pay a penalty for our sins. Remember, in Leviticus, something had to die. So Christ died as our substitute. Um, and Isaiah, are we right there in Isaiah? Let's turn back a couple of pages. Fifty three In Isaiah fifty three, um, verse four through six, Isaiah fifty three, four through six. Because we deserve to die for our sins, Christ came and He died for us. Isaiah fifty-six 4 says, fifty-three four says, surely He has borne or has took on our infirmities, our sickness. He has carried our diseases. Him stricken, our so God he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our. There's a word again, inequities. So He was wounded for His own transgressions. No. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was crushed for his own iniquity? No, he was crushed for my iniquity. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, there's a word again, the inequity of us all. And So he took our place, he became our substitute. Uh, theologians use the term a penal substitution. Uh, It's one of the ideas to describe this. Penal means means like a a punishment or punishment system. You start the penal system. It's like you go to jail, you you go to court, all that kind of stuff is part of that. And the substitution. So it's the act of taking the punishment for someone else. That's what Christ did for us. We talked about propitiation last week, how propitiate means uh, to be put in a favorable position. Because of the holiness of God, now the wrath of God is going for us. Turn to 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 2. I'll read one and you get to two when you get there. 1 John, I'm from 1 John chapter 2. I'm writing you these things so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I like that. And he, talking about Christ, the righteous one, is the atoning, there's our word, sacrifice, there's another word, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He took our place. He died to remove that wrath, just exchange that hostility or that anger, that wrath for friendship. He's our reconciliation. We looked at verses. Uh, Turn with me to Romans 5. We need to look at this. Y'all know Romans is my favorite book. Romans 5, 1, and then there's 8, 1. But Romans 5, 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, and we're going to get into justification sometime down the road. Just because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the opposite of what? War. Remember, there's war. There's a conflict going on. Why? Because God is holy and we are incurably wicked. And there's a conflict there. God has and we are inequity. So there's a conflict. There's a fuss. There's a fight. There's a constant issue there. But now, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. The fight is over. Someone declared war. Now war is now over. We have peace with God because of that. that's what Christ did by reconciling us. And, last, and then there's redemption. We have redemption. I really, really like a redemption. I want to break this word down. I, I, I try not to get too deep with Greek and all that kind of stuff. But this word is really cool. The original word for redemption to redeem is apolutrosis apolutrosis.? apolutrosis OK. And in Greek. Greek, they take words and put them on top of each other. You heard of compound words? What's a compound word? Um, give me a compound word, somebody. Come on, y'all in school. Basketball? Is that one word or is that two words? That's one word. Okay, basket. You know what a basket is and ball. Compound word, basketball. Well, What the Greeks used to do, they used to take like 18 words and put them all together and make one big word. And that one big word was really uh, descriptive because it has so many words attached to it. So watch how they break down apolutrosis for redemption. First of all, Luo. Luo means to loose. So if Miguel was tied up, Luo means he's now loose. Okay. So get Luo. Luo means to loose. Now when you take Luo and you add this word to the end, it turns to Lutron. So you have the Lu, which is loose, and then Tron on the end. Lutron. Lutron means has to do with money. So Lutron is the price for loosing somebody. Okay? So, if Miguel was tied up, he's tied up, he can't get loose, and I say, man, give me $2, I'll loose you up. So, he pays the price $2 to get loose. That's what Lutron is. right? So, we're from loo, loose, to Lutron. Okay? The word apo. Apo is a prefix in Greek. Apo means separate from the whole. Okay? If it was together, you know, and if I took this page and I ripped it out, I would say, I apo the page out of this book. I separated it from something. I separated it from the whole. So, Apollutrosis, saying that you've been loose and there was a price paid to be loose. And after you were loose, you are now separate or pulled out of that situation that you were tied up in. Hallelujah. That's what redemption is. Redemption is a fact that a, pi- a price was paid to loose you, to set you free and then to snatch you out of that condition. That environment you would in and separate you from that and place you somewhere else. That's what apolotrocious is. That's what redemption is. It's a technical term for money paid to buy back something prisoners of war, to free somebody. We have been redeemed from the bondage of sin. John 8, turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. And I want you to see these verses. That's why I I really like to look at the word of God when we preach. So it's not just what Olu said this or Olu read this. I want you to be able to see it and hear from the word of God. John, chapter eight, verse thirty one, apolotrocious. We have been a price was paid to loose me from the bondage of sin and then to set me free and get me out of the sin market. Just get out of there. John 8, 31 says, then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We talked about that. Let's go down to. Um, let's go to. Yeah, 34. Jesus answered them very, very true. I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son does not have a place forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We have been set free from that. We are deemed from the bondage of Satan, and Christ, the atonement, was our, used as a ransom. Christ was our ransom. That's what that ransom. Anybody remember the movie Ransom with um, Mel Gibson? That was a cool movie, Ransom. And uh, somebody stole this kid, and he had to pay to pay to get it. back. Through the work of Christ, justice was not violated, and 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 we talked about it a little bit. You know, we look at our condition. What did we do? We sinned. So our moral condition was uh, the fact that we were in inequity. And so when God applied his judgment to that, we were condemned to die. That war, that conflict ensued. But because of what Christ did for us, and that's when it comes down to salvation, when we as a sinner repent, when we change our way, we cast ourselves on Christ for salvation. We trust in the fact that he took our place. Then our moral situation is changed. So we go from sinner to repentant. And so after we repent, once we repent, when when God comes, like Jaden raked the leaves, when God comes after we repent and he brings his justice, his fairness, and his impartiality to our new situation of repentance, instead of condemning to die, we are pronounced just or righteous. And now we have equity and now we have been set free. Jesus' death was the only way for the atonement. I like how in, um, in Matthew 26, 39, and I was reading, I heard a preacher say this, Matthew 26, 39, Jesus was in the garden he was praying and he said, if it's your will, if it's possible, let this cup be passed from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And you can look at it as... Christ was saying, if there's any other way for the atonement, if there's any other way that I can, we can forgive all these people, if there's any other way to deal with your wrath and man's sinfulness, let's do it. But there isn't. The only way for reconciliation with God, for the atonement, was that Christ had to die. The first result of our redemption is forgiveness. I like um, what C.S. Lewis said before we get before we talk about forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says that um, uh, uh, we, we were talking about atonement and the atonement that's there for us, but it's required. It's something that we have to do. We have to believe. And Layla read uh, uh, that verse in John three sixteen. We're, y'all in John, right? Let's turn back a couple pages to what Layla read this this afternoon. John three sixteen says, "For God gave His only and whoever." On him shall not perish <laughs> but have everlasting life. We deserve to perish because we believe. What do I, do? I, don't mean. I
1: don't believe?
0: How believe does not me. I don't mean you know what, I'm going to trust in what Christ did for me. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to take it on myself. I'm not going to be responsible. I'm going to trust in what Christ did, believe in what he did. And once we do that, apply that trust, then the atonement is for us. C.S. Lewis said that the doors are hell. The doors of hell are locked from the inside. that, uh, But I just thinking about it. The doors of hell are locked the inside. Because we have sinned, we have been condemned to hell. But we have a choice to believe. And if we believe, we just simply come out. And we have that opportunity now for that belief. The first result of redemption is forgiveness. Forgiveness is an a interesting word. Turn to Matthew 26, 28. In Matthew 26, 28, when you get there, say amen. Matthew 26 is a long chapter. I think it's got like 70, 70 something verses. There's a lot going on in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 28 says, for this, Jesus is talking. We do this when we do communion. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, the atonement. Christ died for the forgiveness of sin. The word forgiveness in the original language is aphesis, aphesis. And again, it's another compound word. It comes from the word to means to send away and never return. Think about that for a minute. To forgive means to send away and never return. To repay or cancel a debt. Or grant a pardon. So let's say that, let's pick a girl. Let's say Tally. Let's say I fixed Tally's bike. You have a bike? I fixed Tally's bike. And I charged Tally $375 for fixing her bike. That's just, more than that's, a bike. that's reasonable. Oh, she, yeah. it's souped up. She's from Miami. It's, it's, it's souped up. It's dropped low, it's got wrists, it's a big bike. I, yeah, I, I, I charged her $375 to, and I fixed her bike. So she owes me, I fixed the bike, the bike is working perfect for now, she owes me $375. That's a debt that she is. She's a debt to me for $375. And if after I fixed the bike, I say, you know what, Tally, we good, don't even worry about it, you don't have to pay that back to me. That's canceling a debt. She owed me something, I said, nah, don't worry about it. Or, another situation, let's say that Ray heard, I was like, you know what, oh, let me see what I got in my shoes, my sock here. Ha, it's 400, 400 big ones. Take this, Tyler, don't have to pay. I'll pay it for. It. So your debt has been canceled. You don't owe me anymore. Why? Because the debt has been taken care of. The debt has been canceled, taken away, never to return again. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is that word there is the same word they use for uh, sending out ships. It was time the ships to leave dock. They said, okay, forgive. The other thing is, uh, uh, you know the Olympics or you're running track? The line that you start at when you're running track, when you, so you get down, oh, this is going to be hard, you get down, <laughs> and you put, your, you, know, you put your feet in the blocks, and you get your hands in the side, and you get ready. That line that the runners line up to, guess what that line is called? Forgiveness. That line is called forgiveness. Why? Because that's the line where you line up, and when that gun got off, pew, you take off. You're gone. It's the sending away. It's the getting. That's what forgiveness means. It's releasing some from the obligation. See, here's the thing: if someone does something to you, you have the right to be angry at them. You have the right to be mad. You have the right to hold it in. You have the right to, you have that right. But forgiveness says, you know what? I'm giving up my right to be angry at you. I'm giving up my right to hold you accountable for what you did. So debt and get out of here. And that's what Christ did for us. Acts chapter 10 says, everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sin. In Isaiah 38, you have cast all my sins behind your back. I like Psalms 103. Let's turn there. Psalms 103, verse 12. We have earned forgiveness because of the atonement. Psalms 103.12, you, you guys are most are probably familiar with this verse. Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. He removes from as far as the east from the west. Now, why didn't he say as far as the north is from the south? Why do you think he didn't say that? You could have used that phrase. East, west, north, south. The reason he didn't say, the, David didn't say as far as the north is from the south, because let's say I'm in uh, Miami, I keep traveling north, I keep traveling north, to so I go all the way to the North Pole, and if I keep going, what happens? Now I'm going where? Now I'm going south. Now I'm going south. Now I'm going south. Now I'm going south. And if I keep going, what's going to happen? Pretty soon, I'm going to go north again. So north and south has poles. Those are directions you can change. But let's say I start going east. And I keep going east. What's gonna going to happen? I keep east. going east. And what happens if I keep going? And what happens if I keep going? I keep going east. I keep going east. I keep. So as far as east and the west, there is no line between east and There's no connection between east and west. You can go as much east as you want for the rest of your eternity. You will never come up on west. And that's what God did to our sins. He separated them as far as the east is from the west, never to return again. And he did that by shedding his precious blood for us. And I like in Ephesians, here's a practical thing for us. The first practical thing was, if there was not a time in your life when you have trusted in Christ for his atonement, for his forgiveness, you need to do that. That's what you need to do. That's what salvation is, is trusting, is believing in Christ and receiving the redemption. Receiving the propitiation, the sacrifice, and the reconciliation. And then we will receive forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I think I've sang this song to you guys before, 432, it says, And be kind one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because Christ has forgiven us, it is my responsibility to forgive others also. And so when someone sins against me, I'm supposed to take their sin or take what they did to me, line it up on that line and pull the trigger. Forgive for what Christ did for us all for love. Father, we love you. We thank you for. We thank you, God, in your righteousness, your mercy exists also, God, and because of your love and mercy. You made a way for us to be reconciled, for the war to be over. And it was through the atoning work of Christ Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the reconciliation. We thank you for the propitiation. And we thank you for the redemption. And We pray as a song we sang today, blessed assurance said, God, that we will live in perfect submission to you. And we will live a life of forgiveness, God. And forgive others as you have done to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Prayer requests. Who's doing prayer requests? Ms. Tally.